So you want to read Tolkien? We're happy to have you with us. Join us as we work our way through the Silmarillion. I'm Caitlin. I'm Rachel. And I'm Emily. Let's dig into this week's reading. For Middle-earth. If I tried to pronounce every letter in this name, my tongue would fall out of my mouth. I mean, I am on my second giant glass of Prosecco right now. So... Sally-ho! That's what Into the West means. Let's go home. We're unqualified, but we have ideas. Yes, here we are. Yay! With the we ending of the Quinta Silmarillion. Not the we boat. made it! Yeah, it's it. That's confusing because it's the end of the the Silmarillion, but not the end of the book, the Silmarillion. Yes. Like, we've got. Why do they have to do that to us? Well, we had two short stories at the beginning, so now we Our have prologue. If we have you will, two short stories at the end. They're long stories. Yeah, long right. short stories, but they're not novels. <laughs> Fair enough. They might as well be novellas, though. <laughs> I'd like to let everybody out there know that in the notes here, we have, holy frickety frack, guys, we made it. That was my contribution. It was a good contribution. That was yeah. it. That's as far as I got on the notes at work. <laughs> she started the page and then left the rest of the work to us. I mean, to be fair, I didn't have my book with me, and I don't feel like using an e-copy, and I was also working. It's fine. So we're on chapter 24 of The Voyage of Verendil and the War of Wrath, which is a pretty epic title, honestly. Yep. We've got a lot of stuff that happens in this chapter. So shall we get into it? We shall get into it. And I believe Emmy is taking characters this week. I am. So uh, our dramatist persona. Here we've got... Arandil, if you couldn't have guessed from the chapter title, he is the main character of this story. He's the son of Idril and Tur, who we talked about a lot last week. And at the start of this chapter, he's ruling Sirion uh, with his wife, Elwing. Elwing is the daughter of Dior and um, currently holds a Silmaril at the start of this chapter. But you may remember her as being descended from Baron and Luthien who are still our favorites. And then we have their two children, their two sons, Elrond, who you probably recognize as a name, and then their less famous son, Elros. Um, they get a lot of stuff done towards the end of this chapter. We have uh, Sirden, the shipwright, who helps Erendil build um, his ship, the Vingalot. Um, the Vingalot is what sails all across uh, Middle-earth and the sea and is trying to find Valinor so that Erendil can ask for their help. Um, Cerdan rules the island of Belar, or the Isle of Belar. I can't remember which one of those is correct. Um, we have some villains in this chapter. We have Morgoth, who is our big, bad, terrible villain, right? He's been following us this entire time. And then we have the sons of Feanor, who in this chapter are called the Feanorians. They're still awful. They send a lot of friendly letters to Elwing in this chapter, or we're told that they're relatively uh, friendly and sincere letters, uh, but they also always include their stern reprimands. And then they get tired of waiting for their Silmarils to get returned. And we have the third kinslaying in this chapter, and only Maedros, 
and Maglor Survive. Those are names you probably recognize from previously, too. Um, as for the Valar, a lot of them appear in this chapter. We have Olmo, who is our Valar of the Sea. Um, he's back. He's turning people into birds, which doesn't seem very sea-like, but at least he's useful. And then we have Manway, uh, who's the king of the Valar, who was mentioned previously that he was going to make some very serious decisions. And now finally in this chapter, those decisions get made. Um, and his herald, Aonway, I'm not pronouncing that right, but it's fine. Uh, Aonway also helps move some things along in this chapter. I think Aonway is correct. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. I feel like there must be an umlaut in there that I am failing to pronounce, but I'll take it. I'll take the win. Um, the King of the Eagles, right, shows up. He's uh, Thorandor. What a great name. And then we have uh, big groups of elves, men, other beings, right? The Balrogs, who are our demons, they show up in this battle. Uh, we have the Valar, who were the first beings in Aeon and are essentially the gods here. Everybody's trying to find them so that they can get help back in Middle-earth. We have the Noldor, who are um, that group of elves that were ruled by Finway, uh, and they're Feanor's original people in the bulk of this uh, book. We have the Vanyar, who were the high elves and the very first clan of elves, therefore also the smallest and most exclusive clan. Um, they are in Valinor primarily. They did cross the sea a little bit, but it's not important for this chapter. We have the Teleri, who were led by Elway and Olway. Um, they were the elves with ships. They liked to live by the sea because they were in awe of its power and Olmo and all of those things. And then the Edain, who are the group of men that are most important in this chapter. Um, and these are specifically the men who came from Hildorian, um, and not the other men who made their way into Middle-earth, such as the Easterlings. Um, and I think those are all of it. Those are all of the, the people that show up. Fabulous. Yay, I did it. Party right. time. Right, you, you get, Rachel, you get the, oh. ooh, the very important short sum up. Short sum. Rachel will summarize our short summary. All right. So um, basically in this chapter, Erendil, who has a Silmaril, ends up sailing to Valinor, and he convinces the Valar to finally help them defeat Morgoth. Uh, Morgoth is then, in fact, defeated. And all of the Silmarils are put beyond the reach of man or elf. And thus concludes the Quintus Silmarillion. Woo! All right. Now let's do that in like... It took a long time, 20, but they did it. 20,000 times the longer. Yeah. <laughs> I spread it out over three pages here. So Listen, a lot happened. It was great. Yeah, it was good. So Arendelle and Elwing get married. I don't remember if they got married at the end of the last chapter, but whatever. They're married. And they have two kids, Elrond and Elros. They were um, sort of mentioned at the end of the last one and at the beginning of this. So yeah. You're good. You know how the, the chapters like to overlap. Um, and despite his happy family life, Arendelle is restless and goes sailing a lot in the ship that Cirden helps him build, which is Vingalot, which I've spelled differently and incorrectly many times throughout these notes so that's fun <laughs> um you know he liked to sail around and discover new things but he also um wanted to discover what happened to tour and Idril, his parents who the last anyone ever saw of them they took a journey westward 
and nobody ever saw or heard from them again. Uh, he spent a long voyage out looking for his parents and also trying to reach Valinor uh, eventually when he decided that he missed his wife and his family and he sort of turns for home quickly as his dreams, uh, he had like a feeling of doom from his dreams and something bad was going to happen. Doom. So, yeah. I knew you'd like that. So he <laughs> sped for home. Um, meanwhile, elsewhere, Madros learns that Elwing is still alive and has the Silmaril from Doriath. Feeling bad about, you know, how he killed a whole bunch of people in Doriath, he tries to ignore this, but eventually the oath doesn't let him. Though, I don't really see why they couldn't, like, go after the other Silmarils with Morgoth. Maybe not even seriously. It's like they just forget they exist. Yeah. And, like, try to just quiet the oath where... Like, I get that, technically speaking, the one in Syrian is going to be a lot easier to get at. Mm -hmm. But these are fellow elves. They could be trying to figure out how to get to Morgoth the way that Luthien and Baron did. Instead of trying to kill other elves. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me. I think we've established that they're pathetic. And well, these are the good ones. Well, the better ones. The I was going to say good is a strong word, but I know what you mean. But I think that, right, they are no competition for Morgoth. They're not as clever as Baron and Luthien. Baron and Luthien did also, let's be fair, get very lucky. Um, and yeah. the king of Sirion is gone and has left his wife with the Silmaril. And we all know how they feel about women. So obviously, Sirion is totally unprotected. Yes. And it's an easy grab. So, anyways, the Sons of Fanor, there's four of them alive at the moment, write some strongly worded but friendly letters to Elwing uh, and the people of Syrian and basically say, yo, give us our Silmaril. Um, but, but please, because it's friendly. Yeah. Right? It's like, we're really sorry that we hurt and murdered a bunch of people and made you run from your home, but we meant it. So give it back. Yeah, like, hey, we killed your dad. Can we have our jewel? <laughs> I hope you didn't take it personally, yeah. but... Anyways, obviously, Elwing is like, no, Baron and Luthien literally died for this thing. And they're the ones who got it, and it belongs to us, so... Twice. Yeah. Um, so it's it's ours now, and also, you know, you killed my dad. That kind of... That's, that's shitty. So then... We have our third kin slaying, which totally sucks. And the sons of Feanor basically slaughter the people, uh, the this community that has spurred, no, has come forth, whatever, from what is essentially the refugees from Doriath and Gondolin. So that super sucks kill most of them. Um, they take Elrond and Elros hostage and Elwing throws herself into the sea with the Silmaril. Um, so they, they still don't get the Silmaril even though they... Yep. I admire her dedication. Yep. She's just yep. like, nope, 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 nope. So then Omo uh, raises her out of the sea and turns her into a swan. Good old Omo. Yeah. It's nice that he's still paying attention. And she flies. The only one who does. Yeah. And she flies after Arendelle. With the Silmaril on her breast. 
which I thought was a fascinating image of a bird flying with a gem embedded in its chest. I assume it's just like tangled in the feathers. Oh, it's a magic jewel. It can stay where it wants. Pretty much. So she eventually catches up to the boat and passes out on the deck as a swan. And then as she's sleeping, she turns back into Elwing and Arendelle's like, oh, hey, it's my wife. I guess she's a bird sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, after she is awake, they like it sort of said that they want to go and rescue their kids. But at the same time, they're like, actually, I think our our best bet is to try to get to Valinor. So didn't didn't Elwing also think that they were just or they were like, they're they're lost. They're going to be murdered. This is true. They don't really have any reason to trust the sons of Feanor that would keep their kids alive, which is real shitty. So then they decide to carry on towards Valinor. And this time, Arendelle ties the Silmaril to his forehead and takes the helm of his boat, and it is that that helps, that lets them steer through the mist that hides Valinor. I, I like picturing this as the world's greatest, like, lantern helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so very classy. Good, good for spelunking and finding Valinor. <laughs> uh, so they make it through. They land on the shores near the Teleri. Um, and then we get this brief mention that, oh, hey, there's other people on the boat. <laughs> but they don't matter. They stay on the boat. It's so funny. <laughs> I know. Um, and Arendelle jumps off and is like, you guys stay just in case there's punishment for us mortals being here uh, on the Undying Lands. And Elwing is immediately like, boop, and jumps over too because she doesn't want to be separated. Uh, from her husband, which is nice, I suppose. Yeah. And then she goes to hang out with the Teleri, uh, who she's related to, being the great-granddaughter of Thingol, who is Elway, who was one of the Teleri. Um, so many names. Yeah. So I... God, I don't remember who's died. I think Thingol's brother is dead? I think so, too. From the first Kinslaying? Yes. Yes, so I guess her great-great-great-uncle isn't there anymore, but she's got, you know, whatever. She's Teleri-ish. <laughs> so she comes to hang out with them, and Arendelle goes up... He Like, what? He goes up Tuna, doesn't he? We get, like, a brief yes. mention of all these landmarks that we knew at yeah. the beginning of the story. I think he crossed Tuna. Yes, yeah. he goes up to Tuna on Tuna. Yes, and he's walking the streets and nobody's there because... As per always, there's a big festival going on, so everybody's over at Tanaquidal, Tanaquidal, Tana. Everyone conveniently arrives in town when there's a festival. Yeah, I love that trope. I like imagining that there's just always a festival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a living. It's Tuesday. Let's have a festival. What else have they got to do in Valinor, really? That's a good question. Um. So then, but eventually, the people at the festival see him. Because he's got the Sumrail and it's super bright. So Aeonwe shows up. I'm not even reading my notes. I'm just like remembering what's happened. I should read what I've written down. So yeah, so then Aeonwe shows up and like Arendelle decides to turn back for shore. And then there's this single man standing on a hill 
who cries out to him, Hail Arendel, of mariners most renowned, the looked-for that cometh beyond hope. Hail Arendel, bearer of light before the sun and moon, splendor of the children of earth, star in the darkness, jewel in the sunset, radiant in the morning. Which, I, I guess I picture this scene in that he's like wandering these empty streets and nobody's there and then he turns and there's this a godly being, you know, who booms out his voice and says this. And I don't know. It was very theatrical in my mind. It's not the worst way to get greeted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so Anway is the herald of Manway, and he summons Arendelle to come before the powers. Capital P. So the Council of the Velar is summoned, and there's this brief mention that Arendelle never again sets foot upon the lands of men. Uh, so the Valor take counsel, they summon Omo, so that they're all there, and then it's said that Arendelle asks for, or I'll just read the line here, pardon he asked for the Noldor, and pity for their great sorrows, and mercy upon men and elves, and succor in their need, and his prayer was granted. So finally somebody showed up who represented both men and elves and said, hey, please come help us. And they do. They're saying, like, sure, we'll come help. We don't really like Morgoth anyways. Good frickin' riddance. Mm -hmm. So, before we go to the big battle, um, the Valar decide, more importantly, they have to figure out what to do with Arendelle, which I think is hilarious. But... And the people he brought with him. Yes. He brought three mariners. But they stayed on the boat. I honestly have no idea what happened to them. I just didn't even care. I think they decide to go back. Yeah, I think they no, they didn't. The they get they get put on on those the other ship. boats, right? Yeah, they uh, they give them a different boat, so they they get put on a ship and then they sail. Oh gosh, what did it say? Because I thought it was very sad that basically they sail to their death. I just sort of said, and the Valar drove them away into the east with a great wind. That's it. It's something to do with darkness or night or. I have no idea what you're looking for. Here it is. But they took the Vingalot and hollowed it and bore it away through Valinor to the uttermost rim of the world, and there it passed through the door of night and was lifted up even into the oceans of heaven. Right, but that's Arendelle. Like, they put the others on a different ship. Yeah, I'm pretty sure right. they send them back with the with yeah. the with like the Vanyar and everybody goes back to fight. Okay, I think, then I, I think, misunderstood this passage. Yeah, so I it's okay. Find it here. So then at the bidding of the Valar, Aonwe went to the shore of Ammon, where the companions of Arendelle still remained. So that's the three. They're awaiting tidings. And Aonwe took a boat, a random boat, not a special boat. And the three mariners were set therein, and the Valar drove them away into the east with a great wind. So they're basically just shoved out, like, go back by whichever means you see fit. Um, you can go to war, or you can sail around having a good time. And then... They take Vingalot for their own because it's such an awesome boat. They can't let random people have it. And then to, going off from there, so then they take Vingalot and they hallow it and they, what is it? They put it through the door of night. Mm -hmm. Is that what I'm thinking? Mm -hmm. Out into the oceans of the night. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. No, no door of it, night, oceans of heaven. Oceans of heaven. There we go. Actually, before this, I missed a bit. Um, when they're discussing the fate of Arendelle and Elwing, um, Mandos is like, 
Uh, how should we punish them? What is their doom? Are they elf or are they human? And then somebody else is like, well, they're both. And then Mandos is like, well, if they're Noldor, they're not supposed to be here anyways. And if they're mortal, they're not supposed to be here. And then Manway just sort of steps in and is like, look, them and their children, they can choose to be elf or human. And, you know, they're here now, whatever. We're not going to punish them. So Arendelle discusses with Elwing what she wants, and she wants to remain an elf. So Arendelle is like, all right, I will do that too, even though he would have preferred being a human. And then this is when Arendelle upon Vingalot is all hallowed with the Silmaril and thrust through the door of night into the oceans of heaven, where he becomes, where he like steers his boat across the sky and is seen... Uh, on his travels in the heavens, uh, most often, most often and most brightly in the morning and the evening, very similar to what one might call the morning or the evening star. And even though he chose to be an elf so that they could be together, his wife didn't go with him, because that would make too much sense. And also, she couldn't survive outer space. <laughs> so, so she stays behind. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, no you're that's right. Literally she that's that's what happens. Yeah. So it also does say that she just likes land better. Um, I mean, I probably would too. Yeah. And she does turn into a bird occasionally and fly up to visit him, I think. Yeah. So they built her a tower on the shores where she communes with birds and learns their language as she was one for a time. And then she does once again learn how to transform into a swan, I believe. And so sometimes when Vingalot comes down nearer to Arda, she flies up to meet uh, Arendelle and spends, and they, they spend time together. And I mean, they're not getting any younger, so, or any older. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. <laughs> so they've got time together. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Middle-earth, um, Majros and Meglor see this new star in the sky and are sure that it is a Silmaril, and are glad that it's beyond their reach, and the glory can be seen by many, yet it is beyond evil. So that turns out well for them, I suppose. And then, um, all of Valinor is unleashed, pretty much. The Teleri decide not to take part in the battle due to, well, all the bad blood with them, but, um... I feel like this was, like, the most reasonable thing anyone did, yeah. Like the Teleri have had a lot of bad blood, so they're not going to fight, but they still were like, we'll take you there. Yeah. We'll let you use our ships. We'll help you out, but we're not fighting. And like, that's a good compromise. Yeah. That's like the one and only time. Yeah, I know. It's like hundreds of years later, some elves were like, maybe we could learn about this compromise thing. <laughs> <sighs> the Vanir elves and the Valor themselves and uh, presumably the... Um, Shoot, the lesser Vanyar. Yeah, Vanyar, Valar. Shit. The, the Maiar, there we go. Yes. The Maiar, they all book it over to Middle-earth. Also the, the Noldor that had not left. Yes. The, and they're still led by Finarfin. Finarfin, yes, the Noldor who did not leave. They all go and they slaughter orcs and balrogs and take over. And like, they say that the battle is so big that Enfauglin could not contain it, that huge field of nothingness so it spilled out and everything is destroyed and big battle and then near the end when Morgoth is very afraid he's he does not come out he still stays locked up in the bottom of 
Angband. He sends out a whole bunch of dragons, and at first the Valar are like, oh shit, what the fuck is this? Um, but then in the most epic of all epicnesses, Vingolot comes, you know, flying down from the sky with all the birds of heaven and fights the dragons and the Valar regroup, and it's a whole big thing. It's really good. I like the idea of a flying ship in this battle, killing dragons. Yep. I have to be honest, part of me imagines it as like if that scene from Stardust where they're flying the mm-hmm. the the ship is made of stars. But with dragons and giant eagles and other birds. Yep. And dragons. And, and all dragons. of it. Yep. Good stuff. Um, yeah, so eventually the Valar invade Angband and get to Morgoth, and though he sort of begs for mercy, they cut off his feet and turn his crown into a collar and take the Silmarils and chain him up and they win. And uh, Aeonwe <laughs> takes the Silmarils and guards them. So all the slaves were released, but Syrian, the, the north part of the, this part, sort of the part north of Beleriand, is all destroyed from the battle and unlivable and people just kind of got to get out of there uh and then after all that comes down Anwe is basically like everybody back on the boats let's go home and Matros and Meglor Meglor are kind of like so we're gonna need those somewhere else <laughs> which I thought was kind of fair personally um and I thought Anwe was a bit of a bit of a shit in this in this section um because he basically says that the right to the work of their father which the sons of feanor formerly possessed had now perished because of their many and merciless deeds being blinded by their oath and most of all the assault upon uh, and most of all because of their slaying of dior and the slow and the assault upon the havens the light of the Cimmerils should go now into the west whence it came in the beginning, and to Valinor must Madros and Meglor return, and there abide the judgment of the Valar, um, etc., etc. Now, I would be okay with a lot of this, except, I guess just because of the history of what's been happening, it just sounds like Aenwe wants to keep the Cimmerils, or the Valar want to keep them. You know, it doesn't sound like they're actually interested in any sort of justice here. It's just like, nope, they're ours now. Well, they wouldn't let Erendil into Valinor until suddenly his ship had a Silmaril on it, which I thought was interesting. I, th- I don't know if I personally interpreted it that way, but that is an interesting way to interpret it. Well, like he kept trying to find Valinor and he kept trying and he was looking for his parents and he was trying to find Valinor and he could never find it. Until suddenly his wife shows up on his ship. And yeah, they're together. But also she brought a Silmaril with him. Right. And there's like possibly a whole the Silmarils have powers that no one understands. And the Silmaril broke through the ward that was protecting Valinor. But also maybe they just wanted a Silmaril. Yeah, I'd always thought of it as as that first way that the Silmaril had powers and it, it broke through. But knowing what we know about how everybody's kind of shits where the Silmarils are concerned. <laughs> like, and the, the Valor are not excused from that. They, we have seen them to be shitty where those Silmarils mm-hmm. are concerned. So. I thought Olmo was going to do something when 
Elwing and the Silmaril fell into the sea. I should have had more faith because he's the only one that I truly love mm -hmm. at this point. He's the only guy I actually like, but I did have a moment of what's he going to do? He's going to take it. Yeah, see, my big thing was he just, not. you know, not saying the Valar were, you know, hoarding the Silmarils, but just like, you don't deserve it because you guys have been assholes just hiding away this whole time. Again, just sitting maybe, in silence. maybe Madras and Maglar didn't make the best life decisions, but you don't get to come in here now and destroy Morgoth in one fell swoop and then go, hey guys, we got all the winnings. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, we could have done this the entire time. Exactly. And like, not only are we keeping these, but you're coming with us to face judgment. Like, right. Not like you can come back and, and we'll we'll forgive everything and you can live peacefully with the Silmarils here with us. No, face judgment. And maybe and I'm not saying that Majros and Megalo deserve to be forgiven or necessarily deserve to live a happy life after this. But but this the, uh, it's just shitty. It's just shitty. Yeah. And you'd think they could predict how this was going to go. Yeah. Right. So like, then Meglor is like, maybe we should give up our oath. And Majros is all, we made that oath to, you know, in the name of Iluvatar, and only he can release it from us. And obviously Iluvatar is not talking to them. So they disguise themselves and sneak into Anway's camp, kill a couple people, and steal the Silmarils. <laughs> And now, obviously, well, not obviously, I suppose when they hold them now, it burns them. So they no longer have any right to the to them as, as it is shown. But I still don't think that that means that the Valar do. But whatever, it's fine. And since they both are, they both have guilt from what they've done. And they've fulfilled their oath. They, uh, Maglor takes his and throws it into the ocean and then, like, lives out the rest of time just wandering along the shores of the ocean. I singing like to think sad that, songs. Yeah, singing. Uh, I like to think that Omo just hit it somewhere, you know, down at the bottom, never coming out. Yeah, I'd like that too. And then Majros took his and threw himself into a... I think it just says fiery chasm, but it does a conveniently located fiery chasm. There are just yeah. they're just around now, I guess. He he mount doomed himself. <laughs> he found a volcano, chucked I himself mean, in. They did just literally have a giant battle in a place surrounded by yeah. volcanoes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Probably not and, hard. And to they find. were like throwing each other down and cracking the earth. Yeah. So he throws himself and the Silmaril in. So they are also beyond the reach of. Of anyone. Elves and men. Yeah. And that... After all of that. Yeah, after all of that. Barely, like, they barely have them. Which I think is how that... Like, I'm glad that they did Poetic get justice. them. But don't really get to keep and enjoy them. Keep them? Yeah. Me too. So, that worked out, I suppose, as well as it could have. After that, a couple of the Eldar elves stay behind. Uh, Galadriel and Celeborn. Galadriel is the only Noldor now left in Middle-earth, as far as I'm aware. Um, Círdan stays... Oh, of the originals who led them there. Yeah, I guess people have children and stuff. Círdan stays, Gilgalad stay, but most do sail back to Valinor at this time. Um, Elrond chooses to be an elf and lives with Gilgalad. His brother Elros chooses to be human 
and we will learn more about what happens to him next week but basically being a human who is descended from Eldar and Maiar he becomes a great king and descended from him are great kings spoiler alert <laughs> and well he he sort of takes charge of the Adain which we'll find out well, yeah we'll get into it um, Morgoth was also thrust through the door of night um, but into the timeless void wherein a guard is set forever upon those walls so he is cast out into the void forever oh and then I was going to read the last paragraph here Yet the lies that Melkor, the mighty and accursed, Morgoth Bagler, the power of terror and of hate, sowed in the hearts of elves and men, are a seed that does not die and cannot be destroyed, and ever and anon it sprouts anew and will bear dark fruit even unto the latest days. So Morgoth is gone, but evil still exists. And then here ends the Silmarillion. If it is past... From the high and the beautiful to darkness and ruin, that was of old the fate of Ardamard, and of any and if any change shall come, and the marring be amended, Manway and Varda may know, but have not revealed it, and it is not declared in the doom of Mandos. And that's the end. Uh, Except not really, because we got two more chapters. Yeah. but it is. Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's very Old Testament stuff. Mm-hmm. It is. Like one one you have the, you know, serpent in the garden, sin is in the world now, whatever. And then two, it's just yeah, like, nope, we don't have, you know, Jesus coming to die for our sins and save everyone. It's just it's just the wrath and misery. We get Aragorn though, so, <laughs> so I basically think the same thing. Hashtag blasphemy. <laughs> to be fair, in that story I think Frodo's more of the jesus figure mm-hmm. but you're not wrong you're not but nah anyway i liked that this was in a way the most you know metaphor written um totally um folk ish chapter mm-hmm. you know because we've talked about that before that these are kind of the the mythology of the elves yeah and this one's very, you know, it's here's the origin story for this star. Um, and then here at the end, like what happened to the Silmarils. And I love that it's noted that what one ends up in fire, one ends up in water, and one ends up in the sky. Yeah. Or one so beneath like, the earth, one in the ocean, and one in the yeah. sky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all very metaphorical and lovely and has that awesome myth to it. Mm-hmm. I really like this chapter. I did Whenever too. they're, I don't know, I like the big battle and because it, I just picture it very epically large, mm-hmm. and with dragons and birds and holy ships in the sky and the Silmaril from the heavens coming down, mm-hmm. turning into a swan. So good. Lots of symbolism everywhere. Mm-hmm. And of course, the whole battle is a whopping five paragraphs. Of course. <laughs> I mean, that's more than some of the battles in this have gotten, I feel. You're not it's, wrong. No, it's true. We have our one-sentence civil war at the very beginning, but um, I do feel like Tolkien finds those to be the least interesting parts of his story. So, at least in this chapter, we got a, a short battle description 
but he he gave it a good sense of buildup, which in some of his other chapters never happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Morgoth wasn't just killed or something mundane. It was like, no, the gods took him and exiled him into the void. Yep. Um, I feel like we should also point out there were a few of the, um, I'm going up to your notes, the Edain that were left um, fought with the hosts of the Valar and kind of yes. avenged some of their fallen ones. But the vast majority of men fought with Morgoth and the elves remember it. So... So one of the things, though, that I like about the Silmarillion is that it if you just read or watch The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, the elves in those ones always, like, everyone sees them as sort of these higher beings, and they treat everyone else as if they are these higher beings. When the Silmarillion shows that they are just as crappy as everyone else. They mm-hmm. make just as many bad decisions. They fuck things up just as bad as the humans do you know they betray people and that's what i like about this or it's one of the things that i like about the Silmarillion. it it humanizes mm-hmm. the elves a lot so that maybe they have just no- don't tell them that yep. yeah <laughs> so maybe they have powers that the humans and the dwarves and the hobbits don't but they don't have any moral superiority yeah and that that is one of my favorite things mm-hmm. About the totally true, and the context that it puts on the rest of the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so excited to get to read the next books now. Being like, this is what Elrond grew up around. This is everything Galadriel saw. Yeah, and yet it does put a completely different like look on on Galadriel when you see her too. And it's like, oh shit, you've seen mm-hmm. some shit. You've seen Done some stuff. Some shit. <laughs> yeah. Say like, she probably looks at Sauron and is like, small baby. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. My younger relative once banished you from your home. <laughs> he slammed the door and, no. in your face. We never heard that from was Sauron Morgoth, again. But yeah, we, Sauron just sort of vanishes along with his werewolves. Yeah. I mean, we just see him next chapter, but. He's not important here. Yeah. I think he just got grounded and stayed in Angband forever. With his dad yeah. upset at him. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's like his whole motivation for the next books. He has to prove himself to daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sauron and his daddy issues. The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Everybody's got daddy issues. That's the entire book. Yeah, because nobody, nobody's moms are important enough. Nope. Well, because Iluvatar didn't really make moms. Everybody was genderless until they came down to Aeon. And even then, eh. Yeah. The social structure of this book, guys. I was glad that Elwing survived, because I feel like in most of the stories, her her position didn't survive. No. I totally expected her to die dramatically in his arms on the ship after making it there. Yeah. That is absolutely what I thought was going to happen. I've brought you the Silmaril. My uselessness is over. Or my usefulness. usefulness. Sorry? <laughs> yeah. My uselessness. Usefulness is over. I saw it happening then, and then I saw it happening after he went to the stars. I thought there was going to be something where she went to visit him and she died. Um, but anyway, she's alive. Someone survived this book with agency. I also thought something might happen to separate them when she stayed behind at the beginning. Like, even though she came onto. Valinor, she stayed with the Teleri, and mm-hmm. I was like, 
But no, everything turned out okay for once. And she threw and herself she got off to learn a cliff to fly again. with a Silmaril yeah. to blow off her cousins. <laughs> like, you, the sun never sets on a badass. <laughs> I actually kind of like this idea that they're like, yeah, we still love each other, but we don't need to live together. It's fine. I'll live here in my tower doing what I love. And you can be in the sky doing what you love. I mean, yeah. that's relatable. Yeah. I love you, but I don't want to share a bed with you. Exactly. Huh. Anything else? I don't think so. I didn't have a lot of questions this chapter. I just was really happy I with I it. Could, I could mention that it is Maedros's Silmaril that I have heard some people argue for being... Oh, shit, my mind just blanked. The Arkenstone. The Arkenstone. Because um, it gets thrown down a fiery chasm. Yeah, because it is underground. Could be. Mm-hmm. I disagree, because um, I assume he, like, this is in Valerian and nowhere near the Lonely Mountain. Right. right. You could make a case if it was in the Blue Mountains. Yeah. That it was found, but, like, no. That's too much shifting. Yeah. Especially considering I mean, what happens Also, it's magic, guys. But as much as I could see that being the case, I think... It's a better story if it's a new... Yeah. If the Arkenstone is an independent magical object. Yeah. Especially since we know the Summerall burns people who aren't worthy of it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think the Arkenstone ever did that. No. Anyway, RIP everyone except for uh, Maglor. Well, yeah, but he gets to walk across the beach singing sad songs about his Silmaril forever, so... What kind of life is that? Again, uh, my dream life. <laughs> I get to hang out on the beach for all eternity. Sand flies. With all your guilt. Sunburns. Yeah. And I don't think, if if this is like the beaches in Valerian, it's not forever. Like, you've seen the maps about what ends up underwater. Yes. It's not Unless forever. I wonder, d- does it say? I guess we'll find out, but if he moves from the beach and picks a new beach to wander on. I don't know. Um, I quick reminder also the earth is still flat. Oh. <laughs> we have not gotten around earth yet. That does make sense because Arendelle sails off the edge yeah. and into space. So. And I do like because him in the sky like they mentioned him being the morning and the evening star, which in real world is, is the planet Venus. So it was always the wandering star and that it didn't appear in the same place like other mm-hmm. stars did and they worked that into myth with it being on a ship that sails around and i like yep. that i was going thinking you were gonna go for uh means he's he's a creature of love <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not gonna do that it's not gonna do that at all <laughs> i caught on the venus part and huh. but yes it is it is a wonderful myth for this planet that doesn't behave like other stars yeah so for next week, yes, we are reading the Akelabeth, the downfall of Numenor. It's going to be a good, good time. It's very long. Well, it's basically the entire history of men between the. Okay, so here's another thing. I think I say we didn't talk about the thing. I was just going to say I believe that this marks the ending of the first age. Ah, and now with Numenor, we're into the second age. Or maybe it is the downfall of Numenor that marks the end of the first age. Shoot. I don't remember. 
I'm going to look it up. Me too. Yeah, so we're at the end of the first stage yeah. now. okay. And then something, something, Greyhaven, yada, yada. Yeah, so Morgoth cast into the void is the end of the first stage. So. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then Isildur does his thing. Thanks, Wikipedia. That's the end of the second age. Yep. Okay, so that, just so everybody knows where we are, we just finished the first stage. And then I guess the two short stories after this cover the entirety of the second age. No, the second age. <laughs> sorry, they cover. Sorry, the the second age and the third age. Yep, gonna go real fast, guys. And thousands the, of years, like that. Quite literally, as I believe the first age was the shortest. I could be wrong. Well, for a lot of it, we didn't really mark time. Yeah, this is true. All right, I think that's it. I think that's it. Okay. Yes, the first age was four hundred fifty years of the trees and five hundred eighty-three years of the sun. And the second and third ages are each over 3,000 years. Yeah. So much longer. But we're going to tell them real quick. Or the important stuff, I guess, real quick. Okay. And that is the Akelabeth for next week. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for our reading of the Quinta Silmarillion. I'm so proud of us. Me too. Me too. If you wish to comment on anything we've talked about, you can reach us on Twitter at toreadtolkien or our email is wanttoreadtolkien at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we always appreciate that. Or a rating on iTunes, we appreciate that also. Uh, But otherwise, I've been Caitlin. I've been Rachel. And I've been Emmy. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.